Will you please open your Bible with me to Romans chapter 5? Romans chapter 5. Before we begin, I want to tell you a joke. There once was a man fishing. He was an older man. He was long retired. He was out, had driven his old Ford pickup truck down to the creek, and he's casting his line in, and he's catching some fish. And he hears all of a sudden this funny voice. And the funny voice says, excuse me. Looks around. He's in the middle of nowhere. There's nobody around. He's like, what is happening here? Again, he hears, excuse me, looks around, what in the world? So he just keeps fishing, he thinks it's the funniest thing. And this frog jumps up and lands right on his knee. And the frog looks at him and says, excuse me. He goes, whoa, what in the world? He goes, listen, I know I look like a frog. I'm really a beautiful princess. If you would just kiss me, then I'll turn into the most beautiful woman you've ever seen. I'll be your bride. I'll, I'll be forever grateful to you. Please, will you just kiss me? Break the curse that's been on my life. And he looks at the frog in just astonishment. And he picks up the little frog and he looks at it in his hand and he sets it in his fishing basket. Finishes fishing. Day ends, gets in his truck. They're driving along. He's got the basket right next to him on the front bench seat. And he hears, excuse me. And he looks in there in the little fishing basket. And the frog says, hey, maybe you didn't understand. I, I'm a beautiful princess. If you'll just kiss me, I'll turn into the most beautiful woman you've ever seen. I'll be your bride. Everything will be great. Please break this curse. And he looks in the basket and he says, dear, I heard you. At my age, I think I'd just rather have a talking frog. <laughs> this is the basket. <laughs> it's terrible. Rather have a talking frog. Terrible. <laughs> That's an awful joke. Here's why I tell you that joke. Think about this in your mind. You don't, this is a rhetorical question for you to think about. Don't answer out loud. You can write it down if you want. How do you know if somebody loves you? How do you know if somebody loves you? When I'm doing premarital counseling for people who are about to get married, I love to ask this question because it's really important. Usually with young people, especially who are about to get married, I'll ask them this question. I'll say, how do you know that your parents loved you as you were growing up? How do you know that they love you. And their answer is really important. So I want you to think, just for a second, how do you know that your parents, let's say, or somebody significant in your life that helped raise you when you were growing up, how do you know that they love you? How do you know? Think about it just for a second. It's a big question. Hey, Roy, can you cue up our video? We're going to watch a, a little music video. I love music videos. <laughs> We're going to watch a music video together. Wes loves music videos, too. I'm excited. I want you to watch this video and think about what the message.
Thanks, Roy. What's the message of the song? Don't need words to say that you, need, that you love someone. That's true. Yeah. This song is called More Than Words by the band Extreme. It's from the 90s. Kids, they didn't have cell phones then. So you know, those flames, nowadays they hold cell phone lights up. But <laughs> it's all right. It's a pretty song, isn't it? It's well-performed. It's an amazing song. The message of the song is you don't need words. Um, do you get the impression that the main singer guy is holding something over the girl he's talking to? Yeah, because he says, what would you do if I took those words away? What would you do if my heart were broken in two? He's having a conversation with her. And the conversation is, we're starting off this discussion. I need more than words from you. And so he gives her an option. He says, just reach out, close your hands, close your eyes, reach out your hands. Come, hold me close, never let me go. That's the thing. And so the message of the song is, I need more than words from you for this relationship. But really, he's manipulating her. Really, he's saying, unless you give me this physical touch I want, then I don't know that you love me. That's what he's really saying. And it sounds beautiful, doesn't it? But it's not real love. How do you know that your parents loved you? How do you know that people love you? The world's message about love is that unless you give me what I want, unless you meet my needs, I don't love you. You see this in business worlds all the time. We love people, man. When they retire, we buy them a gold watch, and the next day we dump them and hire somebody new because they can't give us anything anymore. We are really, really happy with our employees when they do a good job, but man, somebody fails, you are the talk of the water cooler or the talk of the Zoom discussion nowadays. The minute you can't produce and provide something in our culture, you lose your value and you don't really matter anymore. A lot of relationships are built on this. A lot of marriages are built on this concept. I am due something special for Father's Day because I did the laundry every day. I did the dishes for you every night to make sure that you were taken care of so I could demonstrate my love for you. Now you're supposed to give me love in return. And it looks like something I define. It looks like what I want. If I don't feel valued, what is this relationship? Now, we should value each other, of course, right? But we come at love in an economic sense. We come at love in a way that's commercialized, where I pay you this currency, and in that transaction, you give me the love that I want. In fact, if you don't give me what I want, not only am I going to shame you, but there's peer pressure around that you've got to be sexualized and you've got to do all these things. It's got to look like this to meet these needs that I can't control. That's not a good way to live. That's what the world tells us all the time. It's why supermodels are eating hamburgers in seductive ways on cars to try to sell burgers. Right? It's why Victoria's Secret has their big show every year and sends out catalogs to every household in America. What, what, why? They're selling, they're selling underwear. Why are they having a big show about it? And it's on national television? Why are we doing this? It's because we have this transaction about what we think our needs are and how people are supposed to meet that, and then we're just loved somehow. I heard a song recently from uh, Taylor Swift. It's a little bit older song now. But she talks about how we can't make any promises in love. We're just going to be here for the moment. Get, what do we need from each other? It's going to be great. And then there might be scars later, 
but we'll look back thinking, wow, that was exciting. In fact, she even says, my reputation is really bad, so if my reputation is so bad, he must like me for me. Because even with the bad reputation he's around, I'm telling you right now, guys don't care about your reputation. They don't. Girls think that. It's not true. It's about what I want, what I need, what I can get from you, how I can manipulate you to get what I want in this situation. Isn't it funny how people, we, you know, we used to have the term um, kiss-ups, right? Kiss-up people at work, and they do anything for the boss. I mean, they'll go get their dry cleaning. Acts of love, acts of service, acts of, why? Because, man, they want that promotion. They want to be seen. They want to be known. And they know their work can't make it happen, maybe, or they feel insecure about themselves, so what do they do? they got to try to do these little things to make themselves stand out so that I'm indispensable to you. That's this transactional idea of love. It's not good. It's not biblical. It's not healthy for us. It's going to hurt you. It is hurting you. Here's what Romans chapter 5 says, verse 1. Talking about Abraham, the apostle Paul here, is talking about the forefather Abraham and how he was the this covenantal guy that the Lord had brought his covenant to and he had by faith received the Lord's word and God counted this faith to him as righteousness. And he says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we've also obtained by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our sufferings produce endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope will not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Praise the Lord for His love. A lot of times we think of that love in this transactional way, where if God loves me, surely He's going to do something for me, because I, and now fill in the blank with all the commerce that you've done with God. I went to church. I prayed. I didn't say that cuss word. I apologized to those people. I watched my thoughts. I didn't see that movie I knew was bad. I went to bed on time. I honored my parents. I called my mother. I did the right thing. I'm good. I'm good. I did the right thing. I bought my wife flowers. It's exhausting. And then we say, oh Lord, why don't you love me? Why am I suffering? That's not love. You're supposed to give me what I want and what I need and make me feel better. And I want to feel great things. I want the endorphins rushing in my mind. Just close your eyes and reach out your hand. Never let me go. That's what we say to God. And the reality of the situation is, Paul is saying we even rejoice in our sufferings that God takes us through because his love has been poured out to us. Here's a better question for you. How do you know that God loves you? Let me ask you something, and I really reflect on this for a minute, just for 10 seconds. Do you think God likes you? I know, don't laugh. Do you think he likes you? You know, you can know that God loves you. And you can really believe that he doesn't like you. He doesn't want you. You can really believe that all that stuff that you've done, he's still so silent. I'm doing all the right things. God, why aren't you upholding your end of the agreement? Because that's what we make love. It's a contract. It's an agreement. I do this. You do that. But the Bible is not that way. Paul uses this word grace in here. Grace is unmerited favor. It's favor that you have not earned. It's God's love poured out on you 
that you did not earn. Let me tell you an important truth. Did you know that God did not save you for what you could do for him? Let me say that again. God did not save you for what you would bring to the table as his employee. He didn't save you because he knew you were talented. He didn't save you because you came from a good family. He didn't save you because you are smart enough, because you set yourself apart, because your resume looked better, because your college application had just the right essay. He didn't save you for any of that. He didn't even save you for what you could do for his kingdom in the future. He saved you, ready for this? Just because he loved you. And while you were his enemy, he loved you when you were unlovable. He loved you while you were kicking and screaming, saying, God, just hold out your hand. Give me all the benefits, and I don't want to do a single thing because I don't care about you. Here's another question for you. Do you think God knows that you love him based on your life, based on what you do? How do you show God that you love him? Is it transactional? What can we possibly offer the God of the universe who created all things. You're going to bring him your work. Did you know that in the Old Testament when the priests came in the presence of God, they were not allowed to perspire. They could not have human sweat in the presence of God. Why not? Because God does not care about your effort. That's shocking, isn't it? But if he doesn't care about my effort or what I can bring to the table, I'm not special how do I know that God really loves me? Turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. There's this guy in the Bible, his name's Abraham. Abraham is an old man. And the Lord loves him. I don't know why. He just does. God chooses him. I don't know why. He just does. He tells Abraham, leave your home and where you're at, your father's land. Go to this new land I'm calling you to. When you get there, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give you descendants more than you can number. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm choosing you to be the covenantal family that I will have an agreement with. A covenant is a, an agreement, a contract. It's the way by which God interacts with mankind. He does it. You know, God made birds, flowers, trees. He also made lawyers. He also made accountants. He also made engineers. God, sometimes we want to look at all the lovely art things, and he made musicians. He also made lawyers who build constitutions and write wills and are really, really care about numbers. And sometimes we think of God like, oh, he's so, it's art everywhere. It's beautiful. Yes, and also, he's very meticulous in his creation and how he does things. And he, his, his personality is legal. And so he works through people on the basis of this love and art, but also on the basis of, I drew up this contract, and this is how I'm going to interact with you. It's the covenant. So he comes to Abraham, and he says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And Abraham says to him, Lord, that's great, but I'm old, like really old, like almost 100, and I don't know if I can have kids anymore. And we've been through this, and I told Sarah, my wife, that we're going to have this baby. She's under massive pressure. Because every month, I'm like, hey, is it 
pregnant, pregnant, pregnant? Nope, not pregnant. It's not going well. So how do I know that you're going to do what you say? And God says to Abraham, he says, go get some animals for me and put them out. And Abraham here at this point knows exactly what's going on, even though it seems very foreign to us. And what's going on is a treaty, a covenant, a contract that's taking place. And God is saying to him, you are going to be like my vassal ruler. So think of like a medieval kingdom. Caesar, this really the technical term is Caesar and vassal. But it's hard for us in our minds to comprehend some of that. Think of medieval England, because that's an easy cultural thing for us. You got the king in the castle, right? Then you've got the noblemen who run around. They work for that king. Right? Make sense? Now, if that king wants to do something special for one of those noble people, usually it involves land. It's going to involve some kind of title or a name. It's going to involve some kind of heritage something that's going to happen. And it's going to also involve law. And so that king is going to come to that nobleman and say, listen, you work for me. I'm the king. I'll protect you. I'll help you. But you're going to follow my laws. You're going to pay homage to me. You're going to be my representative here, and I will give you this land that I own. And now it's yours. And you will be the king of that area under me. Now, when that happened, it would be like going to a mortgage, a mortgage signing. So all of us know if you're going to buy a house or something special, you've got to sign the papers, right? And there's going to be a lot of papers, and there's a particular way to do it, and it's got to be notarized. Everybody in this time knew if you want to notarize something, you've got to take animals. And you split those animals in half, top to bottom, and lay them out in a path, like the aisle here between the chairs. And then the king is going to come down. He's going to say to that nobleman, you're mine. I'm giving you the land. I'm making your name great. You'll have a heritage. You're part of my kingdom. You follow my laws. I will defend you. If you disobey, I'll cut you in pieces. And the guy goes, yes. He goes, and I've heard everything you said. And if you go against this agreement, king, may you be cut into pieces as well. And they both say, OK. And they walk through that middle of that area. Now think about how gross that is. These are several animals cut in pieces laid out. You're going to walk through them. This is bloody. It's gross. It's not good. It's yucky. But it says a lot, doesn't it? You're going to remember that. And the people who witness it are going to remember it because it means something. So Abraham does not skip a beat. The Lord says to him, go get the animals, cut them in half, lay them out. And he says, yes, Lord. And he goes immediately because he understands fully what's going on. We're making a covenant. We're taking something that God said as a promise generally, and the Lord is putting it into a legal binding treaty that now Abraham will live in called the covenant. It's big. So Abraham understands, when I walk through this, if I fail, may I be cut in half. What's God's law? What's his standard? It's perfection. It's perfection. Let's read the story together. Genesis chapter 15. God has come to him. He's told them to lay out all of these animals. When the sun's going down in verse 12, a deep sleep falls on Abraham. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, 
who's going to be, his name will change to Abraham. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Look, even international politics are being applied in this treaty. Verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the great river to the river Euphrates, and the land of the Kesanites, the Kenites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaims, and the Ammonites, the Canaanites, the Gerizites, and the Jebusites. And so the Lord is giving this great treaty that's taking place. International politics are involved because God is the king over the, all the earth. He's giving Abram this land. He's going to give him a great name. He's going to give him a heritage. He's giving him this wonderful promise now bound in blood legally. But where is Abram? He's asleep. What does God's presence look like on the earth when he comes down to sign a mortgage document? I mean, honestly, what would you expect? Abram falls like a dead man in this great sleep, and a firing pot with a torch shows up and starts passing between the pieces. Don't get your mind too wrapped around the symbolism here, because at the end of the day, how do you describe God's presence showed up on the earth to make a covenant with somebody that he was naming as a king in the earth? How, what does that look like? It looks like a, a, a pot and it was flaming and just torch. Whoa, in the middle. Did it, he went and he signed it. There. That's what, that's, I mean, don't you get that impression here? It's like, because what, what do you, how does that look? That's what it looks like. And God comes down and walks between the pieces. He walks through the bloody mess. And he says, Abraham, I am your God. And I am promising you that you will be mine. You have a great name, a heritage. I will do this great work. You can know for certain. But the other half of the covenant is missing. Because Abraham is asleep here. So who takes Abraham's side? Because if Abraham fails, he's going to be split. And God does it. God walks through the pieces. And he says, Abraham, if you persevere, if you do everything right, if you're perfect in all your ways, if you preserve until the end, if you go through all the suffering, knowing even that your descendants are going to be put into bondage, he told them in the promise, didn't he? If you stay faithful, if you remember, if you hold on tight to me, surely I will do all these things. And if you fail, surely I will do all these things. And if you sin against me, if you come against my law, if you don't follow it perfectly, if you go another direction, because I've loved you and because I've called you, I will take your punishment. And not just his punishment. The punishment of all the descendants who would come after him until the day came 
when God's Son would stand before His disciples and He would open a piece of bread and break it and He would say, this is my body torn in part for you. Because God was faithful to His legal document. He signed the papers that if you fail, I will take the punishment. And so from that moment on, the emperor, the king of the world, the creator of all things, had signed in blood that he would take the punishment for those he loved. And now we come to God and say, Lord, look, I've split myself for you. Look, look, I'm opening my heart to you. Here's everything I can give you. Here's all my worth. Here's all my agenda. Here's all my stuff. And really, if you just give me an anointing or some kind of great sign or make me feel better or take away this pain or get me through the suffering or maybe if I could just do something great for your name that really gives me recognition with more than a thousand Facebook friends, then you'll know that I love you and I'll know that you love me because we're coming to him like that pretty song. And the reality is that God was faithful generations, thousands of years before Christ stood at that table, before Christ would go to the cross. And just because of his love, in performance or in failure, he called Abraham his own. And Romans chapter 5 tells us that those of us who believe in Jesus by faith have entered into the same grace of unmerited favor. And the grace of God is not just a concept that's out there. Oh, grace applied to my life and I see it and it's there and it's nice and that's how God acts toward us. We make grace the covenant. We make grace the agreement. We make grace the mortgage. That everything's in grace because that's who God is. But in reality, God stayed true to his legal binding contract that he would go and suffer the penalty for us. And Jesus Christ hanging on the cross is the proof of God's love. That while we were sinners, at the right time, God sent his son who died for us. Love is this. That we can know the, the reconciliation and the love of God through a Savior who died for us, who hung on the cross, and whose side was split open, that we might know grace in God. While we were His enemies. Stop coming to God in some kind of commerce way. That, Lord, if I come to you and I show you all these good things, you're going to do it right. Or manipulate Him. And if I come to you and show you how weak and humble and little I am, and it hurts everywhere, and... Oh, he's not listening. Okay, maybe if I do a lot. I'm weak everywhere. Stop it. Stop it. Yeah. Listen, I'm not saying there aren't time for counselors. I'm not saying there aren't time for help. If you're going through depression, we'll pray for you. Let's stand together. I'm not saying that those things aren't real. But I'm saying we try to manipulate God like that song. Oh, Lord, what would I say if my heart were torn in two? Because I want to serve money and I want to serve you. But help me to choose you by giving me money. What? But that's what we do. We do that. We do that when we get up and out of bed and we say, I guess i got to go to church because if I don't, God's not going to pay my bills this month. We do that by waking up and saying, I better pray for my friend because if I don't pray for my friend, nobody's going to pray for me. We get up and say, Lord, I better give somebody a track because if I don't give somebody a track this month, I'm, I'm probably going to hell. I'm this close. I'm barely making it in. You're right. You didn't make it in. We didn't make it in. The Lord's covenant brought us in. He captured us because he sent his own son who died for us. 
He rescued us. You know, we weren't even like the frog in the basket. I'll turn into a beautiful princess if you'll just kiss me, Lord. No, we wouldn't. We were worse than the frog, slimy, gross. But the Lord set his affection on us in grace, unmerited favor, to have mercy on our sins, to put our punishment onto Jesus Christ, that he would die. The punishment was death. He actually died for us. But then he would rise again, and when he rose, he would take along with him all those elect that he has called, who would be his, who he's set his affection on, and he loves all those that the Father has given him. He's not lost one sheep. This Jesus that we serve, he's so good. He's so kind. And God's grace is so present in our lives because every day now, in the midst of this new covenant through Jesus Christ, that old covenant has been fulfilled, not abolished. We're in Christ now and we stand in Him knowing that His blood has made us clean, that His life has filled us with life. And being filled with life, we can say, Lord, I am Yours. Jesus told us to pray and to pray Daddy to God. Abba, Father, Daddy. He said, address the Lord as Daddy. In your own heart, can you do that? Are you so close to the old way that you don't want to offend Him i got to come super respectfully because it's like a late mortgage payment. If I come and, and I try to come in boldly, he's not going to receive me. Instead, come to him and say, Daddy, because of what you've done, not because of me, Lord, I, I need you. I trust you. I see you. My heart is yours. And let him fill you, not because you've earned it, because you haven't, but just because he really does love you. Yeah. I'm going to tell you this. You need to hear it pastorally. If you are in Jesus Christ... If you believe in his death and resurrection, in your heart, you know it to be true that he rose from the dead. You've confessed it with your mouth. You have given him your life. You said, Lord, cleanse me. I want to be yours. If you belong to Jesus, not only does God love you, he actually likes you. He really wants you. He chose you. He put his affection on you. He thinks about you. And every day that goes by, the Christ intercedes for you according to the covenant. Because he's that good. And it doesn't matter, ready, if you fail. Because he succeeded. Now, I'm not saying go out and sin. But I'm saying his grace is sufficient. And that does not end. It's poured out continually upon us that we are his. We belong to him. I have my identity in him. It's not dependent on what I can bring to him as his employee to get some kind of compensation from him. Instead, I just stand in the knowledge that I'm his and that he really does love me. It changes your life. It changes your life. Let the guilt drip off you. Let the shame be unshackled from you because you are his and he controls everything. If you're in his covenant, you are his. This is good news. This means that, ready? Romans continues. There is nothing that will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Not even your own failure. Because we fail a lot, don't we? Just being honest about it. And the reality of life is, knowing him is life. It is life. And standing in his legalness is so much better sometimes than just, oh, the love artsy stuff. Because the songs go away, don't they? 
but knowing him and knowing what he's done and resting our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, that we are his, changes everything. If today you answered, how do I know that my parents can love me or did love me? If it doesn't line up with what you feel from God, then change your thinking about what love is. If what you think about how God loves you doesn't line up with your feelings of feeling loved, change your definition of love. And come to him because God is love. Latch onto him through his gospel. Look to him through the covenant and say, Lord, I want your love to be my identity. I want to stand in sonship and daughtership with you. That I belong to you, that I'm yours, that you love me and you actually like me. If you had parents that failed, and you're not sure if you can love, you don't know how to answer any of these questions because nobody's actually ever asked you them before. And you're like, I don't know. Then this week, put, put yourself in your heart before God and say, Lord, you fill me. If you've been coming to God in the strength of your accomplishments, or you're trying to hide him because you know you failed, instead, just come to him yourself. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the first thing they did was sew up some fig leaves to cover their nakedness. Love is not shamed. Just come to God as you are and say, Lord, I need you. I need your healing. The Bible says if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just, that he will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Just come to him with your failures. Stop coming to him with your successes. And instead say, Lord, thank you for those things. I know that you accomplished them. Lord, let your love shine through me. What does this look like? It looks like setting your affection on him because he cares for us. How do you do that? Read the book of Romans this week. Read the book of Romans this week. Submit yourself to prayer that instead of asking for things, to just say, Lord, I want to know you and I want to know your love over me according to your word. And see what he says to you. It will change you. It will change you because he's good. This is a radical thing what I'm talking about because it is totally contrary to the way that the world operates in love. Totally contrary. The way that the world operates in love and relationships is opposite to the Bible. The way that God loves us is just because he loves us. And that's good news. Amen? If you have a hard time with it in your head, give me a call this week. Let's meet. We'll open the word together. We'll pray. And you will know the Lord's kindness on you because you are in the covenant with him. Amen? Let's all stand. Let's pray right together. Lord, we come before you knowing that you, O God, are so great. Lord, you are so high above us. Lord, you are worthy of all praise, all adoration, Lord, all treasure, Lord, all things, all glory is yours. What can we offer you, God? But Lord, you captured us. Lord, you saved us. You took us. And so, Lord, now as living sacrifices, we place ourselves before you, God, to say, Lord, we love you. And Father, we don't have anything that we can give you that is due your name. We can't give you even our obedience, even though we want to obey. 
Lord, there's nothing that we can bring to you to earn salvation. There's nothing that we can do that's worthy of who you are. But instead, Lord, thank you that when you look on us, you love us, God, because of your covenant. You love us because of your son. You love us because of your gospel. You love us because you saved us. Lord, we're yours, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, that you are so kind to us. Thank you, God, that our hearts can burn with passion for you because you called us. Lord, thank you that we are yours and not the world's. Lord, we belong to you and thank you that you love us and you actually like us. Oh, Lord, we want to know your affection on us, God. And so change our thinking, God. Change us and help us not to be discipled by the world and how it uses love as a commodity. But instead, God, help us to see how you have loved us even when we were unlovely. Lord, through your gospel, God, let us know your grace poured out to us. Father, let us be agents of grace that everywhere we go, we stand in your sonship, in your daughtership. We stand in the identity of who you've made us. Lord, not defined by the world, not defined by our circumstances, not defined by our feelings, but defined by you and your word and your covenant. Lord, we submit ourselves to you and we say, Lord, it's hard for us. Because we hear these things and then we turn around and immediately we're flooded with all the stuff we have to do. Lord, sometimes we feel like successes. Sometimes we feel like failures. Sometimes we feel like we don't know if you love us. But Lord, we charge in our hearts now in the name of Jesus that we know your love because of your son. Because of his death and resurrection, we know that you love us. And so instead, we stand on your word, God. Lord, let your word permeate through us this week. Lord, let your Holy Spirit empower us to be like Jesus, to bring you honor, and to see you high and lifted up, we pray. Let the calling of the Father dwell richly in your heart. Let the rule of the Son who has all glory and power and honor, at whose name every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let his rule prop up your heart, knowing that he has not lost you. You are his sheep. And let the power of the Holy Spirit that is conforming you into Christ, that's walking you through even moments of suffering, that love of God that has applied the gospel to you to be called a son of God. Let the power of the Holy Spirit dwell in you to open your eyes to see anew that you are his. God bless you and keep you. Have a great week. The Lord is with you. We're dismissed. Thank you. Amen.